we are continuing in our series, and we had a little jump as Chris uh, preached what was supposed to be today because I had started Luke chapter 5, or chapter 15, and we're going to continue on that, and I wanted to uh, uh, continue so I could put those together. Uh, But before we go, since the scripture is kind of long, I'm going to pray before the scripture, and then we'll get into our message. Would you pray with me? Dear Lord, we thank you for this morning. We thank you to gather in your spirit, whether it be in this building or whether it be in our homes. We know that your spirit ties us together as the body of Christ. And so, Lord, we come now to hear your word, and I pray that you would guide the meditations of my heart and the words of my mouth that we might each receive what you have for us here this morning. It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen. All right, as I said, our scripture is the second half, the long story of Luke chapter 15. Uh, A lot of times we know uh, it as the prodigal son, but I believe the better title, and sometimes in newer translations you'll see this title, is the love of the father. So let us uh, begin with our scripture reading. Jesus continued, there was a man who had two sons. The younger one said to his father, Father, give me my share of the estate. So he divided his property between them. Not long after that, the younger son got together all he had, set off for a distant country, and there squandered his wealth in wild living. After he had spent everything, there was a severe famine in that whole country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to a citizen of that country who sent him to the fields to feed the pigs. He longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. When he came to his senses, he said, how many of my father's hired servants have food to spare? And here I am starving to death. I will set out and I will go back to my father and say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. So he got up and he went to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son and he threw his arms around him and kissed him. The son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fatted calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. For this son of mine was dead and he is alive again. He was lost and he, was, and he is found. So they began to celebrate. Meanwhile, the older son was in the field. When he came near to the house, he heard music and dancing. So he called to one of the servants and asked him what was going on. Your brother has come home, he replied. Your father has killed the fatted calf because he is back safe and sound. The older older brother became angry and refused to go in. So the father went out and pleaded with him. But he answered his father, look, all these years I have been slaving for you and never disobeyed your orders, yet you never gave me even a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours, 
who has squandered your property with prostitutes comes home. You kill the fatted calf and call him, or calf for him. My son, the father said, you are always with me and everything I have is yours. But we had to celebrate and be glad because this brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. This is the word of God for the people of God. So just a little reminder as we go back and we look at the whole of chapter 15, because it, and this is a good text to tell us that we just can't pull stuff out of Scripture and proof text it, that oftentimes we have to use the whole uh, context to understand, and even that in the whole context of the biblical narrative. And especially in chapter 15, if you remember two Sundays ago, we talked about the first two stories, the lost sheep, um, and the shepherd went out and looked for that that was lost. He left the 99, and he looked for the lost sheep. He found the lost sheep, and at the end, Jesus summarizes the text by saying, uh, great is the celebration in heaven for uh, the one sinner who repents. It kind of doesn't go with the story in and of itself, but you continue and you go to the woman that lost a coin, and the same thing. She searches all over for the coin. She finds the coin again. Jesus referenced the sinner who repents. And so we know that the sinner who repents has to do with being found. And so we get into this story where the first two emphasize the one who went looking for the lost sheep, the one who went looking for the lost coin, the one that was looking. Here our story emphasizes the action of the one that is lost. Where the first two mention repentance, in this story we actually see a person, the, the, the prodigal son, the one that went out and squandered, we see the act of repentance. Because repentance means to turn from what we know or how we're living, to turn from something and to go back, to turn away and to go another direction. And so we see that physically lived out in our story today of the loving father. And this is one of the most important stories or one of the most fundamental stories to Scripture because it contains the essence of salvation. It contains the essence of us that are lost and how we are found. The, the very elements of what we do, we see in this story. I just want to break it down because it's a long Scripture. So we go and we see first that there's sin involved. In the, in the first part, the younger son is thinking only of himself. He's disrespecting his father. He, he's very selfish. And remember, the short term for sin is selfish living. And so when we live selfishly, oftentimes we'll see we're in the midst of sin. And so we see a very selfish act, a person that is self-absorbed. And so he asked a very disrespectful question. He's just like, I know you're not dead yet, but can I have my inheritance? And so we see um, in this story, in the very first part, we see this idea of sin. And then we see this idea of judgment, or at least how I explain judgment. When I look at the Old Testament, when I see judgment in my life, God's judgment, sometimes we look at that as God being the, the punitive legalistic judge that says this is your punishment. But oftentimes, if you really look at the stories and analyze them, or at least how I look at it in my life, 
that God's judgment is really ultimately just handing us over to the consequences of our choices. You look out through the Old Testament, or throughout the Old Testament, he repeatedly warns Israel uh, not to worship other gods, not to assimilate into other cultures. He warns them, warns them over and over and over again. And eventually he goes, okay, here you go. If this is what you want. He gives us the, the gift of free will so we can love, but he, so he's not going to override that. And so eventually he will hand us over to the consequences of our own choices, hoping that that will turn us back to him, to God. And so we see that in this text. He, the son's choice was to take his inheritance, disrespect his father, live, spend it in worldly, selfish, hedonistic ways. And the consequences of his choices, he finds himself feeding the pigs. Now that's, that is... Many of you know that's supposed to really in this metaphor, in this story, to really show how low he has become because a pig is an unclean animal. And for the Jewish people hearing it, that's about as low as you can go. And so this is where he finds himself. And one translation says, when he comes to himself. So in the first part, we have the fundamental element of sin, selfishness. We see that he ends up in the consequences of his choices, this, this judgment where his sin has taken him. And now we see this realization about where he is, or we might say revelation. And we get into the Holy Spirit and the Holy Spirit and provenient grace, but that's a whole nother sermon and I don't have time for it. So we'll just say realization where we realize, oh my gosh, what have I done? Have you ever been a, in a part of your life where you've just kind of lived selfishly? You were distant from God, you've made poor choices, and you just kind of wake up and say, what am I doing? Why am I, what's going on? Well, that's a gift of God. It's a nudge of the Holy Spirit, but the Holy Spirit's, I'm trying to stay in the context. Holy Spirit's not in this story. Right? But he comes to a realization of where his sin and selfishness has brought him in his life. And he finds himself in a far off land. And so here comes, so we have sin, we have realization about what your sin has done in your life. And then we have confession. He says, oh my gosh, what have I done? He goes, I'm going to go home and confess to my father that I have sinned against God and I have sinned against you. I am not worthy to be called your son, but let me be your servant. And so we see this act of confession. And then after his confession to himself, and he's going to go confess to his father, we see the very act of repentance. He's literally living in the slop and the consequence of his sin. He has this realization. He confesses to himself and to God. And he says, I'm going to turn and go home. I'm going to repent. The first two named repentance even though it wasn't really in the story. Now we see it lived out in this story of the lost son that is found that he literally gets up and he turns from where he has taken himself and he goes home. And he goes home and his father stops him midstream. He doesn't even get his whole speech out. His father sees him and he runs towards him 
And he forgives him and he loves him because the forgiveness and the love is already there. So that's, that's the little summary of the text. But let's go a little deeper because sometimes we find ourselves in a far off land, as I, as I said. Sometimes in our lives, we are drawn out by the world, our selfishness, circumstance, whatever, but we found ourselves distant from God. And if you remember a story I told in one of my first two sermons, when we find ourselves distanced from God, God didn't move. If we find ourselves from a far off land, God didn't move. The story, if you remember, was about a West Texas couple. That's where I heard it. They're driving in this truck, um, and she's all the way over to the passenger side, just staring out into the scenery, and he's driving over here, and this is old uh, one-seater pickup truck, uh, no extended cab, and they're just sitting there, and she goes, she's pining. She goes, what happened to us? We used to be so in love. They found themselves in a far-off distance from one another. She goes, what happened to us? We used to be so in love. We used to be so passionate together. See, I used to sit right next to you. I was so close when we, when we drove down the highway that people thought we were one person. And now look at us. And he just kept driving and he's thinking. He goes, well, I didn't move. She moved. He was always where he was. And the lesson of that is if we find ourselves far off from God, if we find ourselves at a distance from God, God didn't move. We moved. But thanks be to God, God gives us a way to come home. You know, see, we all are going to find ourselves in a far-off land. We all are going to find ourselves distanced from God. We are all going to fall. Our humanness will take over at some time. We'll find a weak moment from ourselves or from circumstances or maybe someone else. And we are all going to find that fall down. And we're all going to find ourselves distant at times. But listen to this. You are not defeated when you fall down or you find yourself in a far off land. You are only defeated when you stay. Because God has offered us and given us a way home in Jesus Christ. And so first we need to remember that we are God's children. We have been adopted in, in Christ. We become part of the family. Just like with the loving father, with the beautiful home, they were his children. We are God's children. Romans chapter 8, verses 14 and 17 says, For those who are led by the Spirit of God are children of God. The Spirit you receive does not make you slaves, or in our case, servants, so that you live in fear. Rather, the Spirit you have received brought you to your adoption. And by him we cry, Abba, Father, the Spirit himself testifies to our spirit that we are God's children. Now, if we are children, then we are heirs. And if we are heirs of God, we are co-heirs with Christ. If indeed we share his sufferings in order that we may also share his glory. So if we have received Christ, we are born again of the Spirit and we have become God's children. And God is our loving Father. So number one, remember, we're part of the family. 
And God doesn't want us to leave others out there. There's others that are far off that we need to tell, you can be part of the family too. That they have a loving father. Even though they might be distant from God in one way or another, they have a loving father waiting for them to return. And so we are part of the family. And then we need to realize that we are all going to fall short. Even though we've entered in, you know, I know when I was a young Christian, I, many of you don't know, and we'll continue to hear my story as we go along, but I didn't come to the Lord until I was very early in my 20s. But when, we, when I came in, I didn't know that there were, let me get my thoughts here. So when I came into the family, I thought I was going to be perfect, right? I thought, man, I received Christ and all the wild living and everything. It's all downhill from here. It's over. That was a misunderstanding. That was a young Christian's misunderstanding. It was just beginning, right? I didn't have the Spirit of God before, so there was no wrestling. The world had me. I thought it was over, and I realized it was just starting. So just because we're in the family doesn't mean we're never going to make mistakes or fall off or find ourselves in a distant land. That's going to happen. But again, now that we're part of the family, we have a way to return home. We have a to turn around, to realize, to confess, to repent and come home. God is always waiting for us. And throughout the Old Testament, God continually said, if you return to me, I will return to you. And we see that lived out in this story of the loving father. He's not even to the driveway yet. And, and the father is running down to meet him because his son who was lost is now found. The son has returned and he is returning. It's a beautiful scene. And so, and understand that it's not just those that maybe do overt sins or live overtly for the world. There's another son in this story. But spiritually, he was in a far-off land too. He, he was there, but he missed the mark also. He, he was there, but he never realized all that he had. And the father said to him, all that I have is yours. Material, land, everything, but also my love is yours. And he never really appreciated it. He never really got it. He was in that internal sin of coveting and jealous, jealousy. So they were both in a far-off land. We don't know, Scripture doesn't tell us if the older son repented and went in and what he did when the father reminded him that all he had was his. But we do know that the first son, the youngest son, returned home. And that's how the lost became found. That's how the dead became alive, is that he turned from the world, from his selfishness, from his sin, and he went home. And we need to always remember that. And remember, as Christians, we are not perfect. And we don't have to be because we have a loving Father. 
And the more we realize that, the more we will live into that, and the more we will be transformed into who God and who we want to be. But we must remember that you are not defeated when you fall down, when you make a mistake. You you are not defeated when you find yourself in a far-off land. The only way you are defeated is when you stay there. And I learned this lesson as a young Christian myself. I shared with many of you, I grew up in Chicago, uh, didn't go to church, played sports in high school, a little bit in college, and I was your typical secular jock-type wild partier. Right? There's, a, there's a quote by Carl Jung I say all the time. says, the world will ask you who you are, and if you don't know, it will tell you. So the world was telling me who I was. And then I, I came to the Lord. I remembered my grandma's prayers when I was in my 20s and thinking, good night. There's got to be something better than this. And I began to pray. And I came to the Lord, and I was adopted in. I became a child of God. But boy, I didn't have any mentors I was doing it on myself, so there was a lot of back and forth. Two steps forward, one step back. Two steps forward, sometimes one step forward, two steps back. And so it was a struggle, but I knew it was real, and I kept going. And there was this one time, this is in my mid-20s, we had had our, 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 Zachary, our oldest, was, he's like 28 now, and he was barely a baby and he wasn't there and and my wife was a flight attendant and she was flying long story short I went out and did some of my old worldly ways I found myself by myself and I went out into a far off land and here I was this young Christian struggling between the spirit and the flesh and trying to figure this out on my own. And the Holy Spirit spoke to me that day because, well, that night I was coming home and I was like, what have I done? Right? I mean, it wasn't anything too crazy, but it didn't sit well with me. And I was mad at myself and I was uh, rebuking myself out loud. I talked to myself out loud. I was like, what have you done? And, and I've just let myself have it. And then I was like, okay, God, what now? What do you do when you find yourself in a far flight? What do you do when you backslide? What do you do when you find, what do I do now? And it was the Holy Spirit because it was wise and smart. And I know none of that comes from me. And I just had a clear, wasn't a voice, but a clear thing. Don't stop trying. Don't stop trying. And right there, I said a prayer out loud. I said, Lord, I might lose everything. I don't know what's going to happen. I I don't know exactly what I said, but, but I said, this might happen, this might happen. But no matter what happens, I will never, never, never stop trying to follow you and become the person you want me to be. And I look back and I know, God said, I can work with that. And so that has nothing to do with me. The story really has nothing to do except for the sin and selfishness of the kids. All of this is possible. The reason the younger son can turn and go back, the reason all of this is possible is has nothing to do with the children, the sons, or anybody else. It all is made possible because of the love of the Father. We must never forget we have a Father that loves us. Because as we go into communion, remember, 
The father was just waiting there. The forgiveness, the love, he didn't have to earn it. He didn't have to ask for it. It was already there. All he had to do was go home and receive it. In the same way, whether we're a new Christian, a non-Christian, a Christian that has backslid, a, a Christian that finds themselves in a far-off land, in the same way, you know, all we have to do is go home. Jesus Christ has gone to the cross. He has given his life that we might have life. He's given his life that we have the forgiveness and the love of the Father. It is sitting there waiting for us. All we have to do is go home. So wherever you find yourself today, whether it be circumstances from COVID, like Josh said, some anxiety, some fear, and you're just feeling far off, or whether you're struggling with something in your life or in your relationships. This works in our relationship with God. It works in our relationships with one another. Wherever you find yourself, as we come to communion, let you be reminded that because we celebrate Christ giving his body, Christ shedding his blood, the forgiveness and the love of the Father is waiting for you. Let us pray. Dear Lord, as we come to your table, may we be reminded of your grace and of your mercy. May we be reminded that Jesus gave his life that we might have life. And that because of Jesus' death and resurrection, Lord, our forgiveness, our grace, our mercy, your love is waiting for us. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.